In your Bible, the book of Leviticus, chapter 18. The book of Leviticus, in your Bible, chapter 18. As soon as you find it, stand to your feet, and we will read God's Word together. Leviticus, chapter 18. I'm reading the first five verses and then the 22nd verse. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, say unto them, I am, and that's the statement of deity, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, which, by the way, they had been in Egypt for 430 years, and so now they were well enculturated into Egyptian culture. And he says, after the doings of the land of Egypt wherein you dwelt, shall you not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall you not do. Neither shall you walk in their ordinances. In other words, don't be like the culture around you. You shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein, I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. And after that introduction, he begins then to go through the chapter dealing with very various issues of sexuality. He begins talking about the family. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him to uncover their nakedness. And every time he reminds us, I am God, he speaks with great, great authority. When I come down to verse 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Thank you. You may be seated. Friday was a great day for America. I can't say how great it really was. It was monumental. I remember the day in 1973 when Roe v. Wade was passed, and I was just a kid preacher at a very small church. But I knew then what I believed based upon the Scripture, and I knew it was wrong for the government to sanction in any way the taking of the life of unborn children. I knew that the Bible taught that life begins at conception and that a child in the womb is of the same value as a child after it is born. And so after 50 years and 63 million little children being aborted, finally Roe v. Wade has been dissolved. Now, on the other hand, I, I think a lot of people think, oh, that means we're not going to have abortion in America. doesn't mean that at all. It means now the Supreme Court has gotten out of it and said, now we're throwing it back to the states. We are fortunate to live in South Carolina because we've already passed the heartbeat bill in this state, and it will go into effect. If it hadn't already, it will very, very soon. And so our laws will protect unborn children after the 15th, uh, how many days? Is, as soon as they hear the heartbeat, the child is protected against abortion. Now, it's not so everywhere. 
in very liberal states like California, New York, New Jersey, Illinois, places like that, the abortion mills will be open Monday morning just like they've always been. So the issue is not fully resolved, but thank God great progress was made. There are two great issues today tearing America apart. Tearing America apart. One of them is who gets to live. Does the child in the womb get to live? Does the old person in the nursing home get treated in the same way as his, as his or her life, as viable as the 40-year-old? Who gets to judge between who lives and who doesn't live? Who is going to play God in that respect? And the other issue dividing America is what sexual practices are moral and what sexual practices tend to build a stable society and which ones tend to tear down the very pillars and foundations of our society. For a full month now, we've heard over and over and over how great it is to be gay, how the LGBTQ agenda is the future for America. Nancy Pelosi said on the RuPaul show, if you're not familiar with it, I don't watch it either, but I know who he is. He, he is a trans figure, a man who dresses like a woman. Nancy Pelosi appeared on there recently. She said, basically, I want to thank you. You're the people that built America. Interesting to me. This nation gives one day a year for Thanksgiving. It gives one day a year for the, to acknowledge the birthday of Jesus Christ. It gives one day a year to celebrate the nation's very birthday. But it gives an entire month to celebrate LGBTQ and whatever philosophy and beliefs. Is there not something sadly unproportional about that, that everything else that we celebrate gets one day, but these sins enumerated in Leviticus 18 get a whole month to, to be emphasized. And I want to tell you, it's making a difference in America. Big business now, Disney, turned from a little mouse that we all laughed at and was cute and entertained us for many, many years and decades. It turned into an organization now that spends its emphasis grooming children to accept LGBTQ philosophy. Government policy encourages immorality. Government policy that is turning people against their own history, their own heritage, their own values, the very foundations of their country. Education has become an indoctrination place in many places to indoctrinate children into the acceptability of practices that are declared as being sinful here. The Michigan Attorney General named Dana Nessel, this week she says now it was a joke, but she said we need a drag queen in every school. 
Big media, TV, cable, Netflix are filled over this past month with images of pride parades. You don't want to go to a pride parade. It is nudity and immorality being celebrated in the public square with everybody standing by and applauding as if this is acceptable. I have a piece of paper here, a mailer that was sent to me this week. It's from the American Family Association, which has the Christian radio station in Dillon. I listen to it when I'm in my car about 90% of the time anymore. It says, the hard statistics in this letter are beyond belief. Now listen to this. What's happening in our society is both tragically fascinating and terrifying. However, it also manifests a key moment for the church. In previous letters, I've talked about the rising number of Americans who identify as LGBTQ, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer. A February Gallup poll found, I'm quoting all of this, that 7.1% of Americans now identify as LGBTQ. That is a 100% increase over 2012 numbers and a 26% increase in just one year over 2021 numbers. The general consensus among experts is that this jump among all Americans is being driven by a sharp increase among younger people. Last year, George Barna found that among those ages 18 through 24, listen to this, ages 18, 24, the Barna poll said 39% self-identify as LGBTQ. If you're a parent, you need to set forward. You set forward on your seat. And listen to me if you've got children. 39%. Here's the part that's fascinating. Rather than claiming to be, quote, born that way, quote, many of these young people, for a variety of reasons, are choosing to identify as LGBTQ. In other words, they identify as a popular choice, like piercings, skinny jeans, and tattoos. In a recent article in World Magazine, Joseph Blackman of the Family Research Council wrote this. It is not a coincidence that the rise in LGBTQ identity has corresponded with the relentless promotion of LGBT characters and storylines in our entertainment. Much of the world now conducts a month-long annual celebration of all things LGBTQ. For many young people, straight now is boring, and the natural desire to be special is exceeded only by the ease with which one can become special through a simple declaration. And so you see the problem is that if Christians won't teach the truth, those who hate God will be only too happy to teach a lie. End of quote. Powerful and needed words. Recently, Kent Kendall of our staff, who's with our children over here now, in the gym, as you said here, Kent 
and his family took a trip up through New England to visit all the early American historical sites that they could cram in in a week or so. And Kent said, I began to notice churches, being in the ministry, of course, you notice churches. And he said, what I noticed is how many churches. And I said, how many, Kent? He said, over half, a majority of the churches that we passed in New England are flying a rainbow flag. Flying a rainbow flag. If you see that picture I'm showing you there up close, that's a First Baptist church. In my lifetime, I have seen every biblically forbidden sexual practice normalized in American society. Fornication, it's okay. Homosexuality, acceptable. Transgenderism, the new trend. And now, the new rage is the drag queen story hour, where a male homosexual, dressed as a female, cavorts with children who have been brought there by their parents. And this drag queen, he reads to them stories but he also cavorts with them, grooming them to accept the LGBTQ uh, lifestyle. But this is in now. This is cool. And you know, it must be especially offensive to God that a nation would dedicate an entire month to celebrate the two sins that he calls an abomination. What are those two sins? Turn in your Bible, Proverbs 6. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. These six things doeth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination to him, a proud look. God says pride is an abomination. Now, we don't think of it like that. In fact, we we, we cultivate pride in people. We tell people you need to be proud. But in God's nostrils, he says, there's six things, yea, seven that I hate. One of them is pride. The first one, in fact, he says is pride. And we name the month after it. And then, of course, the gay part of it is called an abomination in Leviticus 18 and 22. Now, we've even gone further than that in America. We have, we have compounded the insult to Almighty God by using the rainbow as a symbol of this thing. A rainbow, a symbol of God's covenant promise that He would not judge the earth again with water. And we took that blessed symbol and we attached it to two things, pride and homosexuality, that God says are an abomination to Him. How more could you insult the Almighty if you tried? I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 3, verse number 9. 
because I think this is God's description of Pride Month. God's description of Pride Month, Isaiah 3, the show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as did Sodom. They hide it not. Woe unto their soul. I've gone through my Bible. I cannot find another place in Scripture where it says, woe to someone's soul. Woe to their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. In the book of Leviticus, if you'll go back there with me, and let's look for a moment or two at how the Old Testament describes Pride Month, if you will. And I begin reading in verse number 22, and I'm not going to be graphic more than the Bible is, so, you know, if you want to put your hand over your children's ears, that's okay. Uh, I'm aware that there are children here. Thou shalt not, verse 22, thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind, it is an abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast unmentionable to defile thyself thereby. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down there too. It is confusion. The word confusion is also sometimes interpreted here unnatural. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things, for in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. The land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it, and the land itself will vomit out her inhabitants. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations, neither any of your own nation nor your stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, referring to the people who lived in the land before Egypt or before uh, Israel went into the land. All these abominations have the people who lived here before done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. That the land spew not you out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. And whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among the people. And therefore shall you keep mine ordinance that you commit not any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you defile not yourselves therein. I am the Lord your God. Remember the context. Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And Egyptian culture was known for its debauchery, for its darkness. Every evil that the mind of man could come up with was regularly practiced in Egypt. And naturally, after 430 years, the people would have said, well, well, it's no big deal. We see this kind of thing all the time. They have become desensitized to the sin around them as Americans are becoming. And, and the Egyptians worshiped these false gods and had these degraded sexual practices. And Israel, as you know, crossed the Red Sea and they stand on the shore. And now they're ready to go into the Holy Land after a matter of six weeks or so, a month. And before they go in, God wants to prepare them for what they're going to, to see and experience in their new home. And so the promised land that they were ready to enter 
that promised land was inhabited by the Canaanites. They'd been there for several centuries. And so they occupied the land, and now Israel stands at the border ready to enter. The Canaanites worshipped Baal, a a calf. Uh, The idol was in the form of a calf. And they also worshipped a god called Shemosh, C-H-E-M-O-S-H, a figure with a, a flat pan in front of it, and it was an incline, and it went down into the belly of this idol where there was a fire. And people would lay their infants upon that flat pan, and that child would roll into the belly of that beast in the fires. So you see these repeated references through the Old Testament of don't put your children through the fire as talking about the worship of Chemosh. And homosexuality was rampant. And same-sex marriage was, and, and that really is a misnomer, but I have to use the term to communicate because It can't be marriage biblically if it's same-sex. But same-sex marriage was very common among the Canaanites. It was acceptable. And the vilest of their practices, like is described in chapter 18 and verse 23, neither shalt thou lie with a beast. And bestiality was common among these pagans, something so abhorrent, we don't even want to think about it. So vile. And so God had some major reprogramming to do, didn't he? They've been living in this kind of culture and getting ready to go in one like it 430 years, longer than America has existed by a couple of hundred years. And they had fully become desensitized to these things. So God gave them the Ten Commandments, and then he elaborated on the Ten Commandments. Really, parts of Leviticus are nothing more than a commentary explaining the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments is thou shalt not commit adultery. And then Leviticus goes into all the ramifications of what that would mean. So God gave them that Torah, that law, And you find that law sprinkled throughout Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You find these things repeated over and over and over and over again. God is doing some serious re-educating of his people about what, what sexual practices are acceptable and which sexual practices are not acceptable. And so in Leviticus 18, he if, I'm not going to go through all the verses here, but if you want to study it, and you'll need to take a bath after you do. But there's fornication, there's adultery, there's homosexuality, there's prostitution, there's bestiality, there's transsexualism. All of these are prohibited by God in the Scripture. It's, it's as plain as the nose on your face. So how can America accept this so quickly? And how can churches, my God, how can churches take things that God calls an abomination and 
and make them acceptable. God had already judged these sins. I'm going through Genesis. I'm down to chapter 6. I would have preached on it today had I not preached this. But God brought the flood. Do you know the primary reason the flood came? It was because of sexual immorality and, and perversion. A whole culture had imbibed it, had accepted it, was practicing everywhere and all the time. Every imagination of the hearts of men were evil continually. And God judged the world. And you go a few more chapters, 500, 600 years later, Genesis chapter 19, you have the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. God's judgment upon sexual sins there. Now, today, the advocates of these lifestyles will tell you that, well, God judged Sodom because they were inhospitable. And I would say, you're wrong, you're wrong, and pure logic would tell you you're wrong if you'll read the context. Why did Lot offer his daughters to those men pounding on the door and breaking in if it was about inhospitality? No. And these sins were not even controversial anywhere in the world, nearly, until the 1960s. And then we have a watershed moment, and the watershed moment was medical. It was the pill. And I'm not preaching against contraception, but I'm saying this, that when people could take a pill and then feel free to have sex with anybody they wanted. We call it the sexual revolution, and it goes back. And, and, and we celebrated it at Woodstock, where we have thousands of people fornicating in the mud and the rain. It's never been controversial. Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Pentecostals, Catholics, we didn't agree on much else, but boy, we agreed that was wrong. We agreed that those sins would undermine the family, and when the family is undermined, we'd undermine the culture, and we would lose our country. That's what the Bible teaches, Leviticus 18, 24. In all these things, the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. God said, I cast them out for these sins. And in verse 25, the land is defiled, and the land vomiteth out the inhabitants because of these sins. And in verse 28, the land will spew you out and it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. Listen to me carefully. History bears witness. History bears witness. If anybody will bother to read it, history bears witness that every society where these sins became acceptable, that society has ultimately collapsed. There's some examples. They collapsed. The society completely went down. How many Canaanites do you know? You ever met a Canaanite? No, you won't. 
It collapsed. How many Jews have you met? You probably know several. Because God absolutely emphasized to them these sins are not to be practiced. Do you ever wonder if America is in a state of collapse? Well, I think about that every day. And I, I, I don't want to be so negative. You leave here and go out and take your life or something here after the church service. But man, we're collapsing. Nothing works. Have you noticed? I went to the grocery store to buy water. And the guy said, they didn't get it on the truck. <laughs> Nothing works. I wonder, is there any connection? Go to the New Testament. Let's see what it says about Pride Month real quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither and then it lists here 10 sins formally practiced by the Christians at Corinth. And in verse number 9, let's read the list. The list is neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor righteous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And so here's a list of 10 sins. Now, every one of those 10 sins is a perversion of a good thing. Uh, for example, in verse number nine, neither fornicators, but a fornicator is a person who has sex outside of marriage. And so, don't ever say that God is against sexual practice, but He, he put guardrails on it. He says you're to, you're to practice sex within the boundaries of marriage, because if you do, it will build stable families, and stable families build stable societies. Stable societies produce great nations, and great nations produce great people. So, it all begins with, with sexual purity. It's a good thing. And you go through the list. I won't go through it. Every one of them is a perversion of a good thing. But I call your attention today to two words in verse 9, the word effeminate in our King James Bible. It's malakos in the Greek, which means a soft, feminine man. May I say it like this? And I say it I'm, I'm try, this is not a gay bashing message. This is a message about sexual sin that is, is overwhelming our country and destroying us today, being promoted for an entire month every year. And you know what? Even in the world around us today, they are, there is concern in the secular world that we're emasculating our men, that, that we, we've got a country full of metrosexuals. You can't really tell which one, what they are. And we, we put down toxic masculinity, whatever that is. I'd like to think that's me. I'd like to think you know, the preacher is a toxic masculinity fella. <laughs> 
mothers, it won't hurt your boy to get dirty, to roll in the mud, to get fleas. It won't hurt him. It won't hurt you. Families, when I knock on your door and it's 10 minutes after 7, you can still come to the door. It won't kill those kids to keep them up to 8 o'clock. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrible, but, it, but it's serious. That's what this verse is talking about, feminine men. And then the next phrase is abusers of themselves with mankind, the sinicidomy. Two words, arain, meaning male, and coita, meaning sexual intercourse. The NIV, I like its rendering of this. It says, men who have sex with men. Those are the two words. God says here, such were some of you, though. Now, listen, I've talked to many gay people. Let me tell you something shocking. I wish I had 100 gay people coming to the church seeking Jesus Christ right now. I'm not here to put that down in that sense. I, I want to see you come to Christ and experience the joy and forgiveness and cleansing that only Jesus Christ can give you. And my experience is that most gay people are very, very unhappy people. Very. They need the joy of Jesus. And listen, we want to welcome them, but we won't fly a rainbow flag to say that we're in approval of what this sin is happening in the country. But we want to be welcoming to every person for whom Jesus died. Amen? Absolutely. Now, here's the thing. Homosexuals will always tell me, you know, my sin is different. My, my lifestyle is different. You see, my sexual desires define me. A person can take drugs, and he's a drug addict, but that's not what he is. That's what he does. But you see, my sexual desires define who I am. It's my identity. I can't do anything about it. And I want to say to you, if you believe that, that leaves you without any hope. That leaves you without any hope. And I want to say to you, this is not who you are. This is a sin that you practice. It's a lie of our culture. It's Satan's trap to destroy your soul. And look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. And such were some of you. And boy, there's such hope there, isn't there? That you were practicing all these types of sins, these 10 sins enumerated here. But do you know what? You don't practice them anymore. You have been, and read the rest of the verse. It says you have been washed meaning you've been cleaned, and you are sanctified, meaning you are now holy, and you are justified, meaning you are not guilty in the sight of God about your past. You're free now. You're forgiven. You have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 11 describes what you were, past tense, what God can do through His grace. You've been washed. You've been sanctified. You've been justified. That deliverance 
from any of those 10 sins is absolutely possible through the gospel. I've been promoting a book. I don't know if we have any left. If we don't, we'll get more of them. It's called From a Far Country by a man named Christopher Yuan who was trapped in homosexual sin for years and years, ended up in jail and found a Bible in a trash can and read it without ever talking to another person through the power of the Word of God alone. He came to know Christ as his Savior, and he's going around the country today preaching the gospel and trying to reach these dear people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And with the explosion of these problems in the country, we're either going to reach them for Christ or we're going to lose the whole thing. I've never said this before from the pulpit, but I think it's time. I have to say it. I believe America is under the judgment of God right now for her sins. I've tried not to think that, but I believe that. Someone said all the rainbow banners are signaling that America's head over heels into idolatry and the God of her altar is self. The other famous passage on this subject is Romans 1, where three times Verse 24, 26, and 28, it says that God, after men have rejected the gospel call, that God has given them up. He gave them up. The acceptance of LGBTQ practices along with sexual freedom and fornication and adultery and all the other sins mentioned here, all of those are so prevalent and accepted by America, accepted in our churches, I fear we've reached a tipping point. Will we ever be able to bring it back? Billy Graham said, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to call up Sodom and Gomorrah and apologize. But you know what? God doesn't apologize. God does never need to apologize. God is righteous. And unless America repents, she is ripe for judgment. To the people in the LGBTQ community who might hear this message on TV or Internet or maybe you even came and sat in the service today and we welcome you. And I want to say to you something. There is hope. There is hope. I don't want you to go out of here feeling like you've been beat on because I've, I've dealt with a wide array of sin. There's hope. There's forgiveness. There's deliverance. Because the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from A-L-L, all sin. If you walk out of here today and you reject the gospel, I don't know what your hope is. But if you will come to Jesus Christ, I can tell you he can change your life like he changed the life of Chris Yuhan 
and other people whose names I can't call here today. And to you Christians, parents who are dealing with this issue with your children, and, and I hate to say this, but I'm afraid more and more of you, percentage-wise, are going to be dealing with this issue because it's exploding. And you've, you've got to be proactive. You can't sit and wait and hope the Sunday school teacher or the preacher or the Christian school teacher over there at the church is going to help you with this. You've got to teach your children. And you've got to model for them what a relationship of love looks like between a husband and a wife. And you absolutely have to pray with them and drill into them the principles of the Word of God. And you have to ask yourself today, do you embrace the culture's belief or do you embrace a biblical worldview? Do you believe still what God said in the holy book? If I had a child with these problems, I would love that child as much as I could. My acceptance would not mean approval, but I would unceasingly also warn them of the consequences of whatever a man sows, he will reap. And I would say that to them with gentleness and love and kindness and tears. That's the hope. That's the hope. Stand your feet with me.